Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Hello and welcome to the Outer Hour. Hello, Guyanand, Dumelang, Sunny Bonan, Mulweni, Bonjour, Bom Dia, Vorida, and then the big one. How's it from me, Tom? To, uh, it's good to be with you. Thank you for joining us on Outer Hour. 7 p.m. every Wednesday night is when we put the show together. And this is when, uh, you know, this is the highlight of my week because you're on the other side of the screen. So thank you, firstly, for joining us. And secondly, thank you for participating. We've got lots of active citizens that join us live on the show. And many people watch the show post-live. So if you're hitting the play button after the live show, thank you for watching. Remember, you can still comment and you can still drop comments in the comment section down below. Tonight, we are putting five minutes aside for each of our topics and guests so that you can put your questions and comments to the the outer team this evening. What are we discussing? Well, we're discussing the stink down in Cape Town, the Milneton Lagoon pollution story. What is the latest? You'll know that Andrea Korf has had her eye on the issue for some time. Well, what is the latest? Andrea will report on that. Julius Kleinans joins us this evening to chat about SAA. What's happening with SAA? Why is outer challenging government while so many jobs are needed in this country? What's the way forward? We'll find out when we chat to Julius Kleinans in just a few minutes. And then this seems to be a bit of a mess in our energy sector. Well, let me not use the word seems. There is a mess in our energy sector. And now we're starting to hear ramblings about nuclear energy making its way back into the energy mix of South Africa. We touched on it last week, but we're going to go in depth this week, as well as potential tariff increases and changes to the way Eskom bill for electricity. That's going to affect you if you're a private citizen or a business owner in South Africa. So do stay tuned for that. Those are the topics on hand this evening, and that's what we'll be discussing. While I'm uh, chatting to you, let me ask you to like and share this video. So if you've got it in front of you on your smartphone or your computer, your tablet, just hit that like button and hit the share button and let's get the outer hour out to as many viewers as possible. So firstly, we normally say hello to our viewers and let's not break with tradition and see who's on first. Autumn Lily has a uh, how's it? A wave sign. Hello, Autumn Lily. Good to have you on board. Esme van Heerden represents Cape Town this evening. Good to have you with us, Esme. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Outer is on board, and when you see Outer, know that that is Sam van Nispen, the head of marketing and comms for Outer, assisted by Ivor Cleary. And the producer of this show is the one and only Banele Sanatla. The team is standing by. Patricia Zulu is on board. Andrea, oh, Andrea Korf is on the screen in just a moment. Well, uh, she, she's on, she should be on the screen in just a moment. Let me just make sure that she's going to be on the screen because just for a second I saw that uh, she is not there, which uh, makes me a little bit nervous, but we'll get her on in just a moment. And uh, in just a while we'll say hello to Andrea Korf and have her on screen as well. Okay, so um, who else have we got that said hello to us this evening? There are a lot of people joining from all over the world. Rudy Heineke, another team member of Outer, is on board. And Rudy says, hello, good evening, Tom and viewers. Nice to have Rudy with us in the comments section. You'll know Rudy is no stranger 
to the show. He speaks specifically on uh, state capture and the issues that we see surrounding state capture. But you're welcome to engage with him in the comments section this evening. He is here. Brendan Slade says, how's it, Team Outer? Well, it's 2021. Hey, Brendan, we're making the most of the situation we're all in in this country. Uh, Clive Graham Beckett, when will Zuma be arrested? That's a very good question, uh, Clive. It looks like uh, that day may come soon. Uh, and then you've got to put the rider and the disclaimer in, if that happens at all, of course. Uh, Paul Bailey says, hi, folks. Rochdale, UK. The United Kingdom is on board tonight, and thank you for joining us all the way out of the United Kingdom. Paul, good to have you on board. Dagmar Hurlingman says, good evening, Outer Team. John Oscar, another favorite and familiar name to the Outer Hour, says, evening, all looking forward to tonight. Sharon Brin says, comments on Ace Magasule and uh, regarding Zuma, please. Yeah, I was watching uh, the television this afternoon when those comments were made, and don't worry about the Constitution, etc., etc. I'm not sure who on the team would want to comment on that this evening. We may ask for that comment, but I think ideally we'd want Wayne to comment on that issue. We'll, we may pose that question to him when he comes in on a show, perhaps next week. But we won't forget the question, I promise you. Jeff P. Scott says, good evening all. Uh, Andrea Korf, I said, was on board. She's busy chatting up a storm. That's nice to see. Caroline Marks says, good evening, Outer from Milnerton. Well, Caroline, Milnerton is our first topic this evening when we discuss the pollution in your Lagoon. Michael John Billsbury says, hi, outer team from a beautiful, and I think Michael's from Port Elizabeth, if I'm not mistaken. I did, it's left out of the comment, but I, if it's PE, if I remember correctly, nice to have you on board, Michael. Nice to see your name there. Eugene Leonard says, moi man. Hello, Eugene. Thanks for joining us. Lacker man. Annie Haggard says, uh, calculate all the e-toll gate charges on a daily basis, times that by, let's say, 30 days. Where's the money going to? Annie, there are regular updates on the e-toll saga on the show, so do stay tuned to the Outer Hour because we bring you updates whenever there's something new taking place. So as long as you're watching the show, we will have updates for you. Uh, I'm going to clean up one or two more comments. Devotion Moodley says, hello, the Zondo Commission looks like this exercise will finish in the next 10 years. And more comments will come in as we make our way through the show. Okay, let's start, shall we, with Andrea Korf, the Senior Legal Project Manager at Outer, and the lady who has been keeping an eye on the Milneton Lagoon pollution issue. If you're a regular viewer to the show, you'll know we've been watching this and covering this for some time now. Uh, but let's get the latest from Andrea, and let's ask her to give us an overview. So if you're not familiar with the Milneton Lagoon issue, Andrea, give us an overview of what's been taking place over the last year or so in Cape Town. Good evening, Tom, and good evening, evening, everybody out there, active citizens. Welcome to the Outer Hour. So, just a basic overview of what happened was uh, since last year, January, Outer took on this project. Now, we have received a lot of complaints and issues from residents and ratepayers associations and individuals within the Milnerton Lagoon area. And as such, Outer decided to take on this project by number one, which is most important, we decided by the help of our active citizens, by crowdfunding, that we will do independent water testing within the, the, the greater Deep River catchment, which then flows into the Milnerton Lagoon. By doing this, we could obtain a clear picture as to what the major culprits of the pollution was. And although it's a very, very intricate issue, one of the main culprits that we have identified is the Potsdam Wastewater Treatment Works. So from the beginning of last year in January, we started with our independent water testing. And combined with that, we submitted 
together with the ratepayers and residents associations within the area, various complaints to, they call themselves the, the Western Cape government's directorate for law enforcement or environmental law enforcement, or as we know, the, the Green Scorpions. Yep. So we submitted a lot of complaints to the Green Scorpions. On March, or at March last year, the Green Scorpions issued the city of Cape Town with a pre-directive, ordering the city to come uh, to, to give action plan as to how they're going to remedy the state of the lagoon. Now, as the action plan stated, they had to give monthly uh, updates to the But last year, Green Scorpions found, although the city was trying to implement some of the actions, they failed personally. So a lot of complaints were still received by the Green Scorpions by affected parties, and therefore the Green Scorpions issued a directive, an official directive against the city of Cape Town last year, September. So that is just basically an update as to where we came from and where we are now. But what happened when they issued the, the city with the directive, the city appealed the directive and said that the time frames um, allocated and still stipulated in the directive, they cannot adhere to that. So we had to go through the whole appeal process. And then finally, on the 21st of January this year, um, NEC Anton Bradell made a decision. Well, tell us what that decision uh, was. What did the appeal decision say? Go into detail for us. Well, it was, first and foremost, let me just start by saying this is a massive win for civil society it is absolutely um, a, a great success that we can that we can we can celebrate tonight um Anton Bradell, when he looked at the directive and in conjunction with numerous complaints and out of the reports we, which we submitted to him he said that the appeal decision by the city is upheld so basically what it means is directive is still in force and effect it, it still stands but he did modify some of the time frames. I mean, he, it's a very hard-hitting appeal decision that he made against the city, saying that um, the department needs to uphold this directive because it is tantamount to solving this pollution heals in, in order to remedy the situation. So basically, he, he, did, he did give a very scathing appeal decision and um, he gave them certain leeways in terms of time frames with bigger projects. But he also said that in terms of the smaller projects, for instance, the reporting back, some things need to happen within 30 days after the appeal, appeal decision was given. So um, the effect of this is that if the city now does not adhere to this appeal decision, they can be held criminally liable. I mean, they can face fines up to tens of millions of rands, or individuals can face prison time. So this is an absolute, absolute amazing win. And then also, um, MSC Bradell went into further detail, and he said that the fact that the pollution has gotten to this point, it, 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 it's actually unnerving that it came to this point, and that the city had to intervene much earlier. And it didn't have, have to take civil society or concerned citizens to bring this up, the city had to fix it. And now he is, as Wayne liked to say, keeping their feet to the fire. 
Andrea, I'm looking at some of the comments popping uh, up in the comment section and uh, Outer uh, was asking Cape Town residents, how long has this taken? And apparently this has been a process that's been going on for eight years or more. Why, why, uh, why has it taken so long? Tom, unfortunately that is the reality, is that unless a municipality actually feels the pressure, they will not action uh, they will not take action on anything and i must in this uh, take this opportunity to thank the oversight authorities i mean there's a lot of things we can celebrate with this appeal decision but one thing we can celebrate number one the tenacity of ratepayers and residents and residents associations within the Milneton area as was mentioned i mean they they took up the cause for almost eight to twelve years already they've been fighting with the city just to take action and be mindful of the environment. But after significant pressure from civil society and eventually the oversight authorities came to the table and are also now holding the city accountable. So it, it must be said that um, tenacity is one of arts' core values. And if it wasn't the tenacity of the people in the Milneton area and approaching Alta with this issue, um, the authorities would exercise their their oversight so that is a very i think it just goes to show you the power of the people if i can put it as yeah. cheesy as that but yeah. yes so Caroline Mark says it was five years of meetings at MACO level with little result. Outer's involvement was the game changer that's a nice endorsement for what you've been doing there what do you think it was that changed the game what was it specifically I think um, the constant media pressure, honestly, I honestly believe the constant media pressure and also exposing what was going on. Because sometimes uh, municipalities can sweep stuff under the rug, but as soon as it comes to light, then they actually have to account for that. And that is one of the great things why yeah, and art is empowered by normal people, normal individuals, normal citizens. We power art to expose these things, to put it into the light. And then after that, we can just steadily apply the pressure or, or just tighten the screws. So I honestly believe that it was with regards to, to pressure, but also people have been rallying around this issue for many years. And especially during these last couple of, of months and the that we've been a part of this, it's amazing to see uh, the community taking hands and being so energized and really wanting to make a difference, not just for their immediate lives, but for their children's lives. Because at the end of the day, it's a natural resource. It's it's the environment that it does not just impact the coastal environment, but it has a dramatic effect on human health and yeah. the environment of the environment. And just FYI, that's also one of the, the points that MEC Bradal made in his appeal this I see Brendan Slade said, I was literally typing on criminal liability. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, why? You've mentioned that this decision is so important for civil society. Why is it important for civil society? Why, why this decision? Uh, you know what, Tom? Um, I honestly believe that it's very important. The reason for that is because it, it sets a precedent. It just goes to show you that there are some institutions and oversight authorities who can act but sometimes won't act so i think um this is really a president setting thing by saying that if you keep up pressure if you are tenacious in what we believe in and applying pressure on the, the correct people then things will actually start happening
And I think that is yeah. a lesson we can take. There's a victory for civil society. It's, it's the first time. I mean, um, we always hear that the city of Cape Town is the, is the most best-run municipality in all of South Africa. And this just goes to show that they're not. They face their own problems. But civil society needs to intervene. And we need to take hands in order for us to effect change. No one's going to effect change. Only us are going to effect change. Right, so the important question is what, what comes next? You, you've had this appeal decision. It's gone against the city of Cape Town. Uh, what, are the, what are the likely scenarios? What, what happens next? All right, so um, like I said, the appeal decision in conjunction with the directive that's been issued um, clearly gives some time frames and stipulate when what needs to happen. So the next step for us is going to, monitor, going to be to monitor whether or not the city is complying with the directive and the appeal decision. That's on the one hand. The second thing is we actually had a scheduled meeting with the city of Cape Town, the Green Scorpion, and the affected parties within the next two weeks, which we will hopefully be able to obtain more documentation. Uh, we'll be able to engage with them in terms of some of the issues and how to resolve those issues. So it looks like the city of Cape Town is reaching out to us now and is really trying to make an effort to engage with us. So, um, and then finally, what we are planning is we are planning a very comprehensive marketing and, and campaign, uh, marketing and good, comms campaign. So you will, you will see people without our shirts. Hopefully we'll get a, a bridge brigade going. So it's exciting times and we will be more visible. Because remember, at the end of the day, the more support we get, the more we can do. And we need supporters. We need each and every person that is watching in the Western Cape area, if you, you care about your environment, if you care about the issues facing Cape Town, you need to join ARTA and tell your friends to join ARTA because the more support we have, the more issues we can tackle and the more results we can, we can actually achieve together. Well, I know that you've been keeping us updated on this issue over the last year or more, and it's just so nice to see this consistent progress that's taking place when it comes to the Milneton pollution issue. We look forward to the day that there isn't any pollution in the Milneton Lagoon, where civil society and residents in the area can, can take hands or hold hands and, 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 and say, hey, we, we claim victory. I think you're getting, you're getting closer and closer. Nice one, Andrea, and uh, thank you for the updates. We look forward to more updates in the future as the story gets better and better for the residents of Milneton. Right. Are you Thank ready? You, Only a pleasure. Right. Uh, let, are you ready to discuss SAA? You know, I know we forgot about SAA um, amongst all the, the COVID uh, dramas we've seen and vaccines and corruption and you name it. It's all gone down in South Africa over the last year with the lockdown and COVID-19. Uh, we are reeling economically from the shock that this pandemic has brought and the lockdown really has brought to our shores. So while we are all obsessed with keeping our businesses afloat and food on the table, there's this national airline that we've got that hasn't performed for ages and keeps needing bailouts. And we have seen 10.5 billion rand go to SAA. And now 
it's quiet. It's crickets. There have been a couple of comments coming up on the, the, the comment section as I've been watching, and, and similar kind of comments like SAA is saying nothing. Well, what is Outer saying? What is civil society planning to do when it comes to the issue of a national airline that is struggling, can't stay afloat, is bankrupt, and is, is in business rescue? What are the next steps, and what pressure will Outer apply on government? To tell us about that, Julius Kleinans, the executive manager in the Public Governance Division, joins us, hasn't been on with us for a while on the show. So it's nice to welcome Julius Kleinans back to the show. Julius, how's it? How are you? How's life on, in your side of the world? Thanks, Tom. No, it's, it's, it's lovely. And, you know, I'm so grateful for the rain. It's, it's been a lovely time. And it's good to be back. You know, I think we've got a, a big year in store for us, a lot of work to do. And, you know, just to add on, uh, if you look at what, what Andrea and the team's done in Cape Town, Organized civil society is the future of this country. If we can start all becoming better organized and, you know, create the resources and the tools to actually hold government to account, I think, you know, then we can turn things around. Uh, just to elaborate on what she said, and I think it's just an important point. No one knows the amount of money and continuity that has gone into that project. You know, you need to create the ability to consistently hold government accountable and to take action. Those water samples need to be taken every month, and that's how you build a case. So that is the kind of stuff that we need to focus on. And, yeah, if you look at SAA, SAA is very similar. Again, civil society needs to take hands, business needs to step up, and we need to uh, see if we can hold government to account for this and boycott SAA. It's a tricky subject because there are employees uh, and jobs and lives at stake. On the one hand, you've got an airline that is sucking billions out of the economy. And on the other hand, you've got people's livelihoods from pilots to ground crews to service staff to everyone that works for the airline, all being affected by this. I, I, I'm going to say it. I mean, the word I'd use is a, is, a, is a disaster. It's just our national airline has become a disaster. Let's start with uh, the obvious question, Julius, and that is, what is the latest? What's happening with SAA? The last we heard, there was $10.5 billion going in, but no real idea of what was going to happen with the airline. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a huge problem. You know, we've, we are talking about an airline that's a real vanity project. We've seen the business rescue plan being deemed a failure before they even took off. Now, the COVID-19 pandemic only happened after the business rescue plan was put to the fore last year. Yet, we haven't seen government adapt that plan at all. So, they actually, you know, projected uh, about five years uh, of losses that they will make in the process. And that amounts to about 6.5 billion rand. No one has no heard about that. No one has heard about the operational uh, cost involved. The only thing people have heard about is the 10.5 billion rand, which the president, by the way, recently um, signed off. So that money in the meantime has also been reallocated to different things that they haven't put in that business rescue plan in the first place. So if I said that, listen, 2.2 billion rand will go to severance packages, now all of a sudden they've adjusted those amounts. Um, you know, so the 10.5 billion rand, the way they have pitched it to parliament and to government to get that bailout, 
um, is now being used for other purposes. It's completely unacceptable. It's a waste of money. There's no way this business plan will work. There's no way SIA will be successful and it needs to be closed down. You've spoken about the people losing their jobs and you know, mm. we're very mindful of that. And we need to reiterate, Tom, we want these people to get reasonable severance packages. They deserve it. You know, their dignity needs to be upheld. But also the creditors needs to be paid. And that's very important because these people also have businesses and families and staff to look after. We've seen trade unions become quite uh, vocal about the problem. But unfortunately, we also saw that the Department of Public Enterprises interfered significantly with the business rescue plan. No one has been held accountable. The business rescue practitioners haven't been given the opportunity to work independently. And again, it shows you what happens when government interferes. And unfortunately, as I've had a debate on Cape Talk um, regarding this matter, the Minister Praveen Gordhan is very fixed in his ways and he's going to try and push this thing through. And that's why civil society needs to step up. Because guess what? He did the same thing with ETOLs. When everyone said, no, don't go that route. Don't take that. We're not going to pay. We're going to push against this decision. This is not in the best interest of the country. Now, yet again, a couple of years later, we find ourselves in the same position. And again, now we're stepping up. We've tried to engage with them. They didn't listen. They fobbed civil society off. Now we're calling on civil society and business, stand their ground, hold government to account, and we call on SAA to be closed down. Why is ARTA challenging government, Julius, while there so many people need these jobs? Yeah, look. 10.5 billion rand is, is a lot of money, uh, but the debts needs to be settled and the severance package is paid. Unfortunately, the money that comes after that is what we're really worried about because any business, have you ever heard of a business that's not making money that is sustained and that doesn't have to retrench people and not pay salaries? It, it doesn't exist. Why should government be different? Why should government be competitive in an airline space, which is mainly private sector oriented, in a cutthroat industry that has a significant impact now, if you look at the COVID uh, pandemic, it's going to take years for the airline industry to, to get back on track. And we believe that the competitive space will actually usurp that and that those competent people will also get jobs again. It is unacceptable. Government shouldn't look at it. In fact, they need to take their money and they need to focus on infrastructure development as well as the maintenance thereof so that businesses can sustain the economy and build the economy, not government. Government is failing in all business. So we've got a government that's not able to run the airline properly. We've got an airline that is, uh, for all intents and purposes, defunct, dormant. Uh, and we've got jobs that are being lost. With many employees wondering what's going to happen when it comes to severance packages, etc. I'll read some of the comments out to you in just a moment. I'm sure you, you'll want to you'll respond to them. But before we get to the comments on screen, what's the way forward? W what happens next? Yeah, look, that's the thing. If government doesn't want to listen and, um, you know, if no one's being held accountable for this, this is where the new ETOL circles will start. We're calling on all business and civil society to take a stand and boycott SAA. If there's no market, if there's no client base, then this business cannot run. You know, rather close it down and we don't have to see the, the years of bailouts and billions of taxes being lost and wasted 
we need to stand our ground like with the ETLs and force government to make the decision. Right, let's go to some of the comments, shall we? And I'm going to look for the first one that we've got a lot of comments coming up this evening. Uh, let's see. Nompoliso Maracane says, We are struggling as SAA ex-employees. No communication from SAA regarding the 10.5 billion rand bailouts. Have you had any uh, word of that? That the employees are actually getting zero communication from SAA and are effectively sitting in the dark? Look, I wouldn't be surprised. I know that the trade unions are engaging with government, but unfortunately we've also seen that there was little transparency in some of these decisions and mixed mixed communication. We've seen different uh, things that the minister has said in the past. They started with 10 billion, now 14 billion. You know, this the numbers are going up. Unfortunately, we see that, uh, you know, there's no clear clarity on uh, whether the staff are going to get paid out. We've seen some decisions being made in the process where, um, you know, it, it's it's been challenged in court. And yet, you know, you ask yourself, uh, what is government up to? It, it, it baffles the mind sometimes of what some of these leaders are doing and one cannot help to ask the question, what are they really up to? Langi Mukhotsi says, the business rescue practitioners claimed the wage expenditure is the one costing SAA money. And Langi says, who did they spend the $200 million on? Yeah, if you, if you look at the business rescue practitioners and consultants, you know, again, that's where the $200 million has gone. And, um, you know, again, this wasn't done properly and independently. We haven't seen the plan being put in place. In fact, it was a stop go, stop, go uh, all the time. And yeah, uh, again, uh, a year later, nothing's really happened in SA. We're still waiting for the, the saving grace uh, person that's going to bail or partner with, with a, a dead vanity project and throw their money at it. I cannot see how that's going to happen, Tom. And unfortunately, you know, yes, people are being left in limbo. You know, if, if they could, if they could have said, uh, about eight months ago, listen, this this airline's not going anywhere. Um, here's your retrenchment packages. Please move on with your life. I think that would have been much more fair. Yet now we see that government makes significant decisions and they don't really bear the brunt of that or, um, or take accountability for that. And, Tom, this is really what needs to happen. People need to hold the minister and those decision makers to account. And I think if trade unions had something to say and challenge, I think they need to challenge that process and go after those culprits who didn't execute the plan correctly. I'm looking at some of the comments, and I must say, Julius, my heart goes out to the, the ex-employees or the employees who have left SAA. I mean, take a look at this one. They haven't paid VSPs. They lied to the public and the former employees. Autumn Lilly says, many of us agreed to leave SAA with the promise of comp compensation in order to save or help SAA. But we're now indebted. There's no communication. SAA employees have been contributing to tax, so now we're suffering twice. MC says, where is the money? What has it been used for? 10.5 billion rand. Where is it? You see, so, so they've actually started chopping and changing of that money. You know, they're supposed to pay the lessers. They're supposed to, um, you know, have seven packages going. 
And um, yeah, you know, it's 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 very unfortunate I hear what they're saying, you know, uh, but that's that's what happens, I suppose, with the SOEs. You cannot have a business that needs to be bailout. Um, though these some of these members really work hard and, you know, obviously they deserve their wage. Uh, you know, something needs needed to be done a long time ago. I, I, we've seen the unions react to the problems, but we've never seen them challenge uh, those this SOEs, you know, when the problems occurred. And that, I think, needs to be uh, something going forward. You know, you cannot accept bailouts as the way out for business. Any business needs to become lucrative and generate revenue to sustain itself and look after its employees. We've oh, seen that... Um, yeah. You know, the salaries and wages have gone up as well over time. But unfortunately, the performance hasn't gone up. And, you know, it, it, it's unfortunately uh, uh, an inevitable, inevitable uh, with the downward spiral in these SOEs. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this, unfortunately, in future. And yes, Tom, it's very sad. It is I, really I've, sad. I've got to tell you. But this is how we need to start action. I'm saddened by this. I mean, reading some of these comments, Pat Busso says, we as employees who took the VSPs, we'd like to know what is due to us before you close down the airline. We didn't bring the airline to the status that it's in. This is not the employees, the SAA employees' fault. This is mismanagement. This is corruption. This is any number of issues that are not driven by the employees of SAA. Indileka Mafuya says, we as former employees are still waiting for our VSP payments. Zero communication from the airline as to when that money will be paid. It's so unfair. Teresha Perimal says, pay the VSPs and then sort out the other matters. Lungi Mkhotse says, thuggery is continuing. Our VSP money, please. Bongani and Kozi, and these comments just keep coming in one after another. SAA has failed the employees. Is government failing the employees? Are the ministers, are the cabinet uh, failing the SAA employees here? Because what is SAA? What's left of SAA? No, absolutely, Tom. Absolutely. And and one has to go up. You know, it's it's there's there's a minister in charge of the uh, department of public enterprises there's oversight bodies you've got members in parliament that's supposed to have oversight over this audited financials in this in in saa has been um, very bad over years and they've had losses for many a year in fact if you look at um saa subsidiaries we haven't seen the financials since 2017. no one is being held accountable for that. And this is where everyone needs to regroup. This shouldn't happen. It is unacceptable of a government to do things like this. And they need to be held to account. This is where um, staff of the SAA now need to be become better organized and challenge them. Come with a proper plan. Challenge them. Go to your trade unions, get organized, and hold government to account. You, you deserve to be paid what is due to you. And that's what's need to happen. You know, I, I think um, uh, we and this is also what we've advocated is that government needs to do proper severance packages for the staff and thereafter close the airline down. That's it. You know, it's not going to cost much more to to uh, do the severance packages properly with the staff um, and then closing it down. 
in comparison do you agree with the the employees who are busy messaging us at the moment and by the way if you're an saa employee or ex-saa employee and you're messaging us right now and this may be the first time you're watching outer hour i've got two one is a request and one is a suggestion the suggestion is to go to outer.coza if you've never visited the website before go to outer.co.za take a look at the projects take a look at what outer represents take a look at the team that run outer and you've got email addresses and telephone numbers there as well. I know that the outer team are open to engagement. You can always send an email. You can always pick up the phone and speak to somebody at outer. This may be a good opportunity for employees of SAA to get closer to outer and, and join hands with the civil activist movement. And let's see if we can get something, uh, something done here because it seems as if the big issue when it comes to employees at SAA is that they have not been paid. And you've got business rec rescue practitioners who are earning money, who are spending money money on consultants, but the people who are really being affected by this haven't received anything. Here's a comment from Tony Davilius. Tony says, it's not the airline sucking millions, it's the mismanagement and the management still within the new startup that are filling their pockets. I had 40 years with the airline in 2020, and I've seen how a once proud airline to the country was pulled down by management looking to enrich themselves. Ambassador Sani says, are Mr. Patel and Lionel October capable to manage the... Oh, that's Lotto. Sorry, <laughs> We won't do lots of tonight, but very good question, uh, Ambassador. Tandeka Mosia says, they are mafias. Pat Busso says, can you ask them? They haven't paid us since they promised, through the media they promised, that they will be able to pay the 31st of January. Can you ask that question, Outer? We as employees are suffering. MC Lobby says, pay the former employees VSBs. Boy Tumelo Matabula says, Praveen is shady. So is the entire ANC and the people that they put in management. Hence, I'm going to assume that's the president that's been referred to there, can't even intervene. It's going back to their own pockets. Autumn Lily says, if we allow this to continue today, it will be SAA. Tomorrow it will be other companies. They're coming for all our jobs. We must not take this line down. COVID was just an excuse for them to put the last nail in the coffin. SAA has been looted for years. Lynn Kennedy says, government cannot run any SOEs. We are in trouble. Uh, and the comments keep coming in. And they don't stop tonight, Julius. You've touched a nerve with this one. Itumaleng Mokone says, we need to be paid. We are suffering. SAA lives matter. Uh, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Would Outer, uh, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to read all the comments, but would Outer, is Outer, is Outer, prepared to consider this request that is coming in on the show tonight by employees to push these business uh, rescue practitioners as well as cabinet and government to just pay the employees first. Tom, I think, you know, this is something we can discuss at Exco, but does this fall within our mandate? You know, one has to question that because we have a, a governance and a constitution that we need to follow. However, they have the trade unions that represent them. This is a very good opportunity for the trade unions to take hands and for these employees to become organized. Sadly, Tom, this is not only at SAA. We see the same thing happening at the SABC. We, say, we see the same thing happening at the variety of SOEs. It is where the leadership, which is extremely bloated, by the way, make yeah. the wrong decisions. They're never being held to account. And that's what needs to be challenged. And this is a bit political fight and challenge, by the way. It's not always just the administration. Yeah. So we need to see the people stepping up on this. 
We will continue doing what we're doing. And we want to ensure that taxpayers' money are not being wasted and squandered. And that is very important. Going forward, everyone needs to play their role in this. And we will continue the debate. And we will continue um, having these engagements. Sure. And hopefully we can see that proper severance package is getting paid out to the staff quite soon. And that some of these competitive industries that, by the way, are taking over SAA's um, roots and, and business at the moment usurped some of the good staff from the SAA into proper sustained uh, jobs. Well, I'm going to read the last couple of comments on the SAA issue this evening. Um, Gail Augustine says, The BRPs walked into SAA yesterday. I worked for SAA for 20 years, but they paid themselves and they forgot to pay us. Uh, Pat Busso says, it's funny how business rescue practitioners are paying themselves and we're not part of the unions anymore. We've left the airline. We're all alone as ex-employees. We need our money. Uh, they robbed us of our jobs is another comment. Now they want to rob our kids' money. People are depressed. People are losing lives. Praveen and the BRPs don't care. Teresa Piramal says, somebody needs to take responsibility. I mean, in the meantime, ex-employees can't suffer waiting for promised VSPs. Cynthia Stimple, who was head of finance at SAA, has just joined us to say uh, good evening, Alta and friends. And I know that Cynthia did comment. I think Cynthia said that employees should have been paid by now. Um, and uh, a couple of comments have come in to say that the employees have left. No, there's no longer union involvement. So, you know, once again, I'm going to say what, what I said at the, at the outset of uh, this discussion, and that is uh, the, the lives that are being affected by this and the way and the manner in which SAA employees who gave many years of service to this airline are being treated both by business rescue practitioners and government. If, if the comments I'm reading are true, and I don't expect them to be anything but true. It is absolutely disgusting that we sit in with a situation where billions are being pumped into an SOE, and the people who need their severance packages haven't got them. Uh, once again, I'm going to request you, as you watch this program tonight, and it might be your very first Outer Hour, and you may not know the team yet, and you, you may not be familiar with, with Outer as an organization and the people that lead it. Get onto that website, outer.coza, investigate Outer, take a look at Outer, and send an email pick up the phone and call and engage with outer you heard julia say that you know the the, the outer mandate is 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 is, is to to deal with tax abuse uh, but uh, but there's no reason why a conversation can't start uh, and if the door is open julius I, I hope that some people will take the opportunity uh, and and email uh, the organization thank you julius we'll catch up with you for the goodbye Thanks, but Tom. before we do say goodbye we've got another listen we never we never run out of important issues on the show we never run out it seems of corruption in South Africa we never run out of SOEs that are stuffed uh, and and when you talk about SAA you've got to immediately segue into our, our other huge headache which is electricity generation in South Africa we don't have en enough electricity to grow this economy and the only place that that makes electricity is Eskom and we know what state Eskom is is in it's a it's a step or two above where SAA is 
and, and, and we're getting nothing from, from, from government and ESCOM ex except to say it's going to take a long time to sort out the issues. Now, lately, we have been seeing more mess in our energy sector. Last week, we touched on the fact that governments are starting to talk about uh, introducing nuclear to the mix. Now, a year ago, nuclear wasn't part of the mix. We'd said goodbye to nuclear. We'd said goodbye to the scandals. We'd said goodbye to the billions that were going to be spent on nuclear. And all of a sudden, nuclear creeps its way back into the energy mix. How did that happen? Liz McDade, Mrs. Energy, I like to call her, joined us last week to give us a couple of details. But we thought we'd explore this issue a little more. And so we've asked Chris Yelland, MD of EE Business Intelligence, to join us. No stranger to the show. And Liz McDade, our parliamentary advisor for Outer. And let's investigate this issue. Not only nuclear, but I'd also like to talk about the changes that are taking place at Eskom when it comes to tariffs and billing and the way they plan on positioning the business in the future. So... Uh, who's first? Let's go with ladies first tonight. Down in Cape Town, the mother city, where the lagoon stinks, but everything else is fine. Liz McDade, parliamentary advisor to Outer. How are you, Liz? How's it? And how's it to all the listeners or viewers? It's good to, to be on the show. And um, yes, you said energy's in a bit of a mess. But the big question is, are we seeing history repeat itself? Um, and that's what I thought it was useful to share uh, with us tonight. Well, here, is, here's, um, here's my problem with this conundrum, or my con the, the conundrum that exists in my brain. A few years ago, when we heard there was going to be a nuclear reactor put together, the Russians were going to come here, the deal had already been done, somehow the public had been bypassed in this thing. Uh, and, and, a, and a heck of an outcry the, it happened. The media got involved. Everyone said, hold on a moment. You're not doing this on our watch without our, consulting us first. Uh, and, and we all said it's Jacob Zuma. We all said this is President Zuma and the Guptas. Now, President Zuma's gone. Well, he's gone for all intents and purposes. Where he's going to land up, we don't know. But we know he's not in power anymore. Why are we still talking about nuclear reactors if the person we thought was to blame for this is gone? What's going on, Liz McDade? Yeah, you see, I think you have to... Uh, unfortunately, it's easy to blame a single person. And, um, and what we have to understand is that it's a network. It's a system. And if, if you want to say people have been gaming the system, what's really happened is if we look, we see that... Uh, and, we, and just to say that it wasn't only in 2018, it was in 2003, I think it was, there was another court case where civil society stood up and said no to another nuclear reactor, which was the pebble bed modular reactor, which was a little mini nuke. And so that was thrown out because civil society was right. There hadn't been, uh, you know, that there hadn't been consultation. And Jacob Zuma wasn't actually in power in 2003. So... It's a system of, of who is gaining and how are they being able to influence government and what is civil society doing about it. But I actually want to be a little bit positive here because... How, Liz McDade, how are you going to be positive in the middle of all of this? I'm desperate for this answer, yes? <laughs> because we've done it twice. Citizens of South Africa have stood up twice. So I think that, and now, and, and this is the critical thing, is the last court case in 2018 
the, that dodgy deal was overturned by the court. Civil society won. And the important thing they won was the right to be consulted. Yeah. And through NERSA, the, the regulator. And that's where we're sitting. On Friday is the deadline for people to actually put their comments in. And this is a hard-won battle. So a lot of civil society energy was put. A lot of people marched. A lot of people stood outside the court. A lot of people put their voices forward in over 2015, 2016, went to parliament, told people we don't want this nuclear. And government still tried to push it through, but the courts overturned it. And they said, you have to have proper consultation. So now we're sitting again. They're trying it again. But right. now we why, have that gap. Why, why are the red lights flashing? Why are you worried? Okay, so um, how do we share the screen? Or have you got that PowerPoint? Um, I've got a couple of slides, uh, right? So you, you, can talk, you can talk through the amounts and the costs, and I can put that up on screen quickly. Yeah, I want to slide before the costs and amounts. I want to show you who benefited from the last one. Um, so if that can come up on the screen, I, so must I do it or you do no, it? No, you go ahead. Unless you want to pop it up okay. on the screen, we can always try that. But I've got Central Lake Trading, Trading as Empire Technology up on the screen. Yeah, at the that's moment. it. That's it. Right. Yeah. So if you've got that in front of you, then that's then I, I, um, I won't uh, share anything. <laughs> I'll just keep talking. So what we have on one of your slides there is a list. List. There should be a list of companies, about 16 of them, that benefited the last time round to the tune of about 200 million rand, which we now think is small change, but still. Um, and when you look at one of them, you will see there's a slide, Central Lake Trading. Yeah. And the critical part of that is who owns Central Lake Trading. Um and I don't know if that's a, a question we should pose to people who've been reading the papers or did read the papers. Do you know? Do you know who owns Central uh, Lake Trading? Yes, we do. All, all right. So is this a question um, for our viewers? So who I. Yeah, I'm thinking. Do the viewers know who owns Central Lake Trading? Right. Do you know who owns Central Lake Trading? Would you like to put your guess in the comment section down below? Liz will tell us in just a moment. Okay. So Central Lake Trading, tell us about them. So they got a contract, which they were paid 170 million, and and it uh, to do a a pro a program a management system for the project, which didn't happen. So we paid for something, but we didn't have a project. So why did we need a project management? Uh, and unfortunately, this is something that we've heard many times before on the outer hour, where companies have been paid hundreds of millions and there was no work done. Right. Another one of those. Yeah. Another one of those. So um, if anybody's figured out who owns Empire... Um, well, I'm getting a lot of Guptas on the screen right now. Everyone's guessing <laughs> Guptas. There's one Gupta <laughs> after another here. Uh, that seems to be the, uh, the, the, the guess. The guess. Yeah, the guess. So come on, put us um, out of our misery. Who owns Central Lake Trading and got so, almost 200 so, million um, bucks for nothing? The last, time we, last time we checked, a guy called Shantan Reddy. And Shantan Reddy is related to a man called Vivian Reddy um, yes. in KZN. And uh, your viewers might know who Vivian Reddy is. 
Yeah, um, Vivian Reddy is a, a KZN businessman, and I think was uh, was 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 linked to, uh, to to Jacob Zuma at some point in time. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, good, I think yeah. a good friend. Yeah. The media described him, I think, as a good friend. Um, yeah. So so there was definitely a link there. But what we also have to look at is. How did they get this thing through? So was, 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 was cabinet full? Did they full cabinet? You see, this is the issue. And, and now, luckily, you spoke about the Zondo Commission. And the Zondo Commission has yielded some nice little nuggets, one of which is a declassified cabinet minute, which uh, is, is the, the, the argument that was put forward to cabinet to get approval for the last nuclear deal. And remember, the last nuclear deal was rumored to be going to cost the country a trillion rand. That's right. Um, and that, that slide that you should now have up with that um, table, uh, which is, is what I just wanted to go through, just, just because this is why we should be standing up and yelling. So remember, this was a secret document, so we didn't know about this. We know now about it, and the thing is, is it ha happening again? So in 2015, the, the first column shows you what calculations were presented on this is the cheap route. Um, and they came up with a cost of $62.5 billion if they were going to build a phase one, 2,500 two, two megawatts. In... But they used a exchange rate of 10 rand to the dollar mm -hmm. when it was actually 15. Then they, so, and now Chris is the one who's the expert at doing these costs. So they, they what they said is, no, well, it's, it's as if you built it overnight. Here we go. So you hand over the cash, you get the power station tomorrow. But you don't. You have to borrow money. When you borrow money, you have to pay interest on that money. And there are other costs that are associated with putting up a project, things like building roads and all sorts of things that are not directly linked to a power station, but there are other costs that are included. And when you add those costs in, you would get a bigger number. But what was presented to Cabinet did not include those costs. Okay. And Chris, Chris has estimated that about 25% if you put the finance costs in and another 10% for what's called owner development costs. So now you look... At, so, so the first thing is that low cost one. There's a, it's kind of that doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, so the high, they, they did put a higher cost. National Treasury actually at the time, and if we remember, Nene was the person who got pushed out because he opposed the nuclear deal. Um, that's what he testified at Zondo. Was that the 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 high cost, um, still at ten rand. Was it going to be 720 billion? Huge amounts of money. And uh, yeah. I mean, these are just like money that you can't even think of. Liz, so, I'm, going to, I'm going to ask, I'm going to hurry you along if you don't mind. We've no, got six minutes left, but let, let's get to that big number, yes. Oh, yeah, sorry. So the big number. So all I wanted to say is we looked at what it should have cost if you were going to do it at in 2021 exchange rates which were the right ones yeah and that's we're looking at 380 billion rand and we think that you could do a lot of other things with 380 billion rand and as it goes into what chris is going to talk about i think what's really important is to know that electricity consumers were 
in that cabinet minute is the people who are going to pay and potentially pay ahead of time. So you would, we were, our electricity costs price would go up for something we hadn't actually got yet. We would pay wow. for electricity even though the nuclear reactor wasn't even built. All right, very quickly, what can outer supporters and civil activists, South African citizens do at this point in time with this looming threat of another nuclear extravaganza taking place? Jump onto the outer website, go to the nuclear page, endorse the submission, uh, send your own submission. Now is the time to stand up. Civil society has done it twice before. Outer supporters can do it now. The drama doesn't stop there because we're hearing that Eskom wants to change its attitude towards commercial power generation and include industrial and commercial businesses, uh, allowing them to generate their own power. Your comment on that, Chris Yelland, is that a good idea, Eskom changing its attitude towards energy generation in this country? Yeah, it's definitely a good idea, Tom, because this nuclear deal that... Uh, Liz was talking about, uh, even if it was to go ahead, could never be delivered in the next 10 years. Uh, and we have a problem right now. And there's a growing realization at ESCOM by Mr. Dereta and, uh, and his executives uh, that we have to avoid going from a crisis to a catastrophe. And to do this, the only solution in the short term is for customers to become part of the solution. And they do this through self-generation and from procuring powers from other generators uh, and wheeling power through the electricity grid. And in the past, uh, Eskom has kind of done everything it could to inhibit this. But with this growing realization of a catastrophe looming, there is a change of attitude. And just yesterday, Mr. Dereta announced in, a, in the, uh, the mining in Darba, uh, he actually said that they want to lift the limit on licensing from currently uh, one megawatt, uh, which is quite low, to 50 megawatts, which is uh, rather large, so that you wouldn't need licensing up to 50 megawatts. So that's what he's pushing mm. for. Uh, but not only that, he publicly said, if anybody has got a project of 50 uh, megawatts uh, or so, uh, please phone him personally and he'll, he'll handle it. Uh, the bottom line is they are, know that there's a catastrophe looming if they don't do something about it. And the only thing that, that can be done is for self-generation and distributed generation wheeled through the grid. Uh, and so that instead of just having one failing monopoly supplying electricity, and shall we say not supplying electricity because they are unable to meet demand uh, so often, uh, we now need to bring new generators to the table, allow it, facilitate it, encourage it, incentivize it, uh, because that is the only solution to the problem in the short term. And so we're seeing some changes in attitude, which I think is very welcome. Uh, but there's a lot of bureaucracy still to be dealt with, yeah. red tape, uh, regulations, etc. Well, here's the but for me. I see Andre Dureta says electricity prices are 30% too low in this country. Uh, uh, what's the likelihood of our electricity being too cheap in South Africa? Chris, is it too cheap? Well, it's the way you look at it, I suppose. Uh, if you benchmark it with other countries and use the, the dollar rand rate of exchange, according to Eskom, then we are amongst the lower countries in terms of electricity prices. Uh, but we all know about, uh, you know, the purchasing price of rand and dollar uh, and, and what you can buy for a rand in South Africa 
uh, and what you buy for a dollar in America, uh, you, you know, you can't just use the exchange rate. Yeah. Uh, you remember the old uh, the McDonald's, McDonald's test, absolutely. Sort of analogy, I was just about to say that. The McDonald's index. So I think uh, one needs to also apply this to to uh, to electricity, and, and it's not quite fair just to use uh, the current prevailing exchange rate. Uh, one's got to look at the cost structures within a country, which are different uh, country to country. But bottom line, Eskom says that its prices are 30% too low and they need to rise by 30% in order to become cost reflective or reflective of the real cost. Well, I, I, guess the answer is ob- I, I guess the answer is obvious, Chris, but what's the impact of a 30% increase uh, on, on South Africans? Yeah, well, look, you, you know, f- f- firstly, to suggest because the prices are not cost reflective, you must ri- raise the prices by 30%. Uh, there are other ways of achieving cost reflectivity, and that is to reduce your costs, not just put up your prices. Uh, and, and to be honest, I believe it's a combination of both is going to be uh, what is necessary. ESCAM needs to completely look at its cost structure, it needs to downsize its business, it needs to cut its staff, it needs to deal with uh, exorbitant coal costs, it needs to go into cheaper generation technologies like renewable energy and flexible generation technologies, uh, which are the least cost option going forward for new generation. It has to retire these old coal power stations, which are dirty, thirsty, inefficient, non-compliant, and basically, it's time to shut them down and replace them with cheaper, cleaner, more efficient uh, energy systems uh, going forward. So, uh, yeah, to achieve cost reflectivity, we need to reduce costs, not just put up the prices. Uh, and probably a combination. Yeah. Right. Well, both, I, uh, is the is the reality of things. I see. Sharon Crayer says, and this is probably a situation that most South Africans are facing. Uh, my electricity bill was 5,000 rand last month. I've got three bedrooms, four adults, one three-year-old, geezers on a timer. It's absolutely ridiculous. And now we hear the CEO of Eskom saying electricity is 30% underpriced. We've also heard that Eskom are applying to change its tariff structure. And we need, I need you to explain this to me, uh, including fixed components. Please explain fixed components uh, and, and explain what doing away with block tariffs means. Yeah, currently the tariff structures throughout South Africa are inconsistent, irrational in many cases, uh, and and need to be completely looked at uh, to become more reflective of the way electricity is actually costed. And if I can just quickly describe what fixed costs are. So there's a certain uh, fixed cost of uh, of any utility, not just Eskom, making available an electricity supply uh, to a customer. And these include, uh, you know, the capacity, uh, uh, the, the transformers, the lines, etc., which are a constant costs uh, in, in the sense that they don't vary with your consumption. Uh, and, and, and so there is a certain fixed cost component in the supply of electricity. There's also a variable cost component in the supply of electricity, and that is the energy cost. Uh, the, and energy generated from, let's say, coal, uh, the more uh, electricity you use, the more coal you burn, uh, and the more costs you incur. So there is this variable cost component. Now, at the moment, there are many tariffs in South Africa that are really inconsistent. Uh, so, for example, this thing called an inclined block tariff. 
what it really is, is that uh, if you use a lot of electricity, the price per kilowatt hour you pay is much more than if you uh, use uh, less electricity. And really, this is a means of cross-subsidy from bigger users uh, to smaller users. I mean, if you're a very small user, less than 50 kilowatt hours, and you're indigent, you get free electricity, and you are fully cost, uh, uh, you are fully uh, 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 subsidized. Um, and, and the bottom line is, this is not reflective of the real costs of supply. Uh, and uh, and it is important to have uh, to, to to have tariff structures that truly represent the cost of supply. And that's not to say you shouldn't subsidize, but it's not the business of Eskom's role to subsidize. It's government's role who have a social policy. If they need to subsidize, there needs to be a transparent way of of subsidizing it through the through the fiscus. And not through the business of Eskom, yeah. because if you do it through the business of Eskom, you create a lot of distortions in the business of Eskom uh, and the, and the way it's done. So there is, I believe, a need to do away with these inclined block tariffs, and that is going to reduce the costs of, of bigger customers because who are heavily penalised when they use more electricity. It's quite bizarre that you know when you're a, a customer that buys a lot, uh, you should be penalised for buying a lot. <laughs> you should actually be encouraged. Uh, Eskim, if they were a normal business, would try and encourage people to buy a lot. Maybe it makes no sense, Chris Yellen, but not much makes sense in 2021. I'm going to ask <laughs> you the same question I've asked everybody on the show tonight. What can the average South African do? What can we do about this, Chris? Well, this tariff restructuring thing is out for public comment at the moment. So one could comment, but I must stress, is that tariffs are complex issues and the general public uh, probably will find it difficult to really understand uh, the tariffs and, and, and these are left to specialist uh, people that are involved in uh, tariff structures. And I think one's got to support them and one's got to trust them uh, that they are looking at this matter in the best interests uh, of customers. Uh, and, and so this public process is going to take place and uh, I do think there is a need to restructure tariffs in the broad principle of things. Of course, the devil is often in the detail. Yeah. Uh, and, and that has to be looked at by specialists uh, to make sure uh, that tariffs are fair and cost reflective and put out the right pricing signals to ensure the right response by customers. Well, Chris, uh, I'm going to add one more thing that uh, Outer, our viewers can do this evening, and that is to stay in touch with Outer. If you haven't joined Outer, go to outer.co.za. Take a look at what the team does. Electricity and energy generation is a very big part of Outer's work. You'll find more information on the web website, outer.co.za. Uh, and keep watching Outer Hour because every week we tackle these issues. We bring you the latest news. We scratch below the surface. We put pressure on government. And we do not stop. Your team at Outer is relentless. Um, I'm going to have to say goodbye because we've actually run over time. So let's start with a goodbye with Chris Yellen. Chris, thank you. MD of EE Business Intelligence. Always good to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us this evening, Chris. Thanks, Tom, and thanks, everybody, and thanks to the listeners and all my colleagues at Outer. It's a privilege to work with you. And Liz McDade, Outer's parliamentary advisor down in Cape Town. I like to call her Mrs. Energy. Thank you, Liz McDade. 
Thanks, Tom. Thanks to everybody for listening and viewing. And it's a great conversation. And see you again sometime soon. And let's see if Julius Kleinans, Executive Director of the Public Governors Division at Aote, is still on board somewhere across the river in Hearties, that side of the world. Julius, a good evening to you and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom, and thanks for the viewers. Thanks for the fantastic questions. And, yeah, there's some big debates that need to be taken. And hopefully we can resolve these issues in the near future. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too, Julius. And we'll end where we started with the delightful, puts a smile on everyone's face, Andrea Korf, Senior Legal Project Manager at Arta, dealing with the stink and the pollution issues down in the Milnerton Lagoon area in Cape Town, making some progress. Bayerangi. Thank you, Andrea Korf. Thank you very much, Tom, and thank you to all the active citizens, all the Arterians out there. Without your support, we won't be able to do what we're doing. Keep up the good fight, be safe, and have a good evening. Well, it's not just the team you've seen on air tonight. There are around 50 people working at Outer dealing with the mismanagement of our SOEs, the wasteful expenditure of taxpayers' money and holding government to account. Headed by the CEO, Wayne Divinage, joining us on the show tonight behind the scenes. Head of Marketing and Comms, Samantha Van Nispen and Ivor Cleary have been in the comments section this evening. And the show is put together by Banele Sinatla. Just a reminder, if this is your first time watching Arta Hour, either live or post-live, we're on air every Wednesday at 7 p.m. A lot of people make it a date. It's uh, really been my only date for the last two years or so. I've had no dates. But now I'm back on the dating scene, so I've got a few more dates a week. But the big date every week is 7 p.m. on a Wednesday night with my friends, my fellow South Africans, my concerned active citizens as we hold hands and say, enough is enough. Join us next Wednesday at 7 o'clock for another outer hour. We will tackle the issues that affect you and me as South Africans. I'm Tom London. I wish you a wonderful week. I hope you make lots of money. And if you don't make lots of money, I hope you make just enough to put food on the table. Most of all, I hope you stay safe. Don't worry about the vaccine. It's just a little prick. It's coming soon to a clinic near you. And I will see you next Wednesday, hopefully safe and sound. And until then, I miss you already. Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters.